How's everybody doing? I am not too enthusiastic response, but at least I heard a couple of positive. That's good. Glad to hear that. Um, thank you for being here this morning. Um, I want to point out we do have coffee and beverages if somebody needs something to drink. I personally need some uh, mental lubrication about this time of the morning, so um, I'm definitely taking advantage of that. Um, let's begin with the psalm for today, which is Psalm 80, which says this. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God, let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention to our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You, brought out, you drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the sun whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine, that we may be saved. Praise God for the reading of his word. Um, this morning, uh, what do we have that we need to pray for? I'm sure that uh, we bring a lot of concerns with us. What, uh, what do you have on your hearts and minds this morning? Yes, it's open. We'll definitely be praying for Ravonda and, uh, and what God's plan is for that and pray for healing for her. Um, I know that's a scary proposition for anyone, for sure. What else this morning? Yes, sir. Uh, gearing up for our first first international trip since. Oh yeah. Well, okay. Now my second, my first international trip with students, mm. and the first international trip in general didn't go well. Well, yeah. The last time, uh, yeah. last time Josh tried to take an international trip with students, he ended up being the first person I knew was infected with COVID, and darn near got uh, trapped in a foreign country. So. Yeah. And yeah. I tried one other time since then and got deported from Paraguay. So <laughs> we're trying again. So. Uh, Evidently, I need to pray harder beforehand. Oh, man, I'll tell you, we'll all be praying with you for sure. Hopefully, this will go a little smoother. Yeah. Um, you know, they always say in theater that, you know, if the rehearsal is rough, the performance will be better. So, hopefully, this will be an improvement for you. Yeah. And praise that coffee's back. Yes, amen. Praise God for coffee. What else this morning do we need to remember? I'm sure we've all got ones on our own hearts that we uh, want to bring before the Lord. So, let's just, uh, I'll give you a few moments to uh, silently. Share what you need to with the Lord, and then I'll lead us in prayer. Father, forgive us. Um, when the brokenness of this world makes us take prayer for granted. When we fall into the trap of thinking that this is um, a routine, a mundane, a, a peripheral kind of thing. God, our communion with you and prayer should be our very lives. God, it is um, the place where we draw near to you where we come and sit before your throne. Particularly when we do that in a corporate kind of way because God, this is exactly, exactly what your word says we will one day do. Sit together with brothers and sisters, all of the in Christ, and praise your name. I thank you for that. 
Thank you for the opportunity to be able to do that. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the gift of prayer. Lord, we pray for Ravonda and for what the future holds for her in terms of health issues. And uh, we just pray, God, that you would give her your peace that goes beyond all worldly understanding. That uh, you would provide healing according to your will and to your glory. Lord, we pray for um, Josh's upcoming trip and uh, for um, the uh, complications that we know can go with any kind of international travel, especially when you've got a bunch of college students involved. And uh, particularly in a world that's become a lot more complex in the last couple of years. Um, we're crossing borders is across um, with a lot more um, challenges than it used to be. Um, God, we pray for um, safety that group. We pray, Lord, that uh, your will would be done as you be glorified in what they do. Father, that uh, they would um, experience you in the beauty of nature. God, you have been so faithful to reveal yourself to me in complexity and the beauty, and beauty of creation. Lord, let's pray that uh, for Josh's students, that that would be something that you would, uh, you would do, Lord, that you would help them to understand you in new and deeper ways as they explore life, explore the world that you've made. Father, here are the concerns of our own hearts, the ones that we um, either judge too petty to bring up or that we are too personal or too tender to be able to say in front of a group of people, God, uh, we thank you that you hear those two. And Lord, as we come to worship this morning, let our, um, our words, our prayers, our songs be pleasing to you. Let them bring you glory. Let them lift us up in your presence. And God, um, as consistently has happened throughout the history of your people, let us not go away from the encounter with you the same as when we arrived. God, you always transform us um, through experience with your presence, and we pray that you do that this morning. God, uh, for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Kathy, just going to come, and Keith, lead us in song this morning. Yeah. 
Verse 9. When a man is afflicted with a leprous disease, he shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall look. And if there is a white swelling in the skin that is turned to hair white, and there is raw flesh in the swelling, it is a chronic leprous disease in the skin of his body, and the priest shall pronounce him unclean. He shall not shut him up, for he is unclean. And if the leprous disease breaks out in the skin, so that the leprous disease covers all the skin of the diseased person, from head to foot, so far as the priest can see, then the priest shall look, and if the leprous disease has covered all his body, he shall pronounce him clean of the disease. It is all turned white, and he is clean. But when raw flesh appears on him, he shall be unclean. And the priest shall examine the raw flesh and pronounce him unclean. Raw flesh is unclean, for it is a leprous disease. But if the raw flesh recovers and turns white again, then he shall come to the priest. And the priest shall examine him, and if the disease is turned white, then the priest shall pronounce the diseased person clean. He is clean. Verse 18, if, there's skin, if there is in the skin of one's body a boil, and it heals, and in the place of the boil there comes a white swelling or a reddish-white spot, then it shall be shown to the priest. And the priest shall look, and if it appears deeper than the skin, and its hair is turned white, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a case of leprous disease that is broken out in the boil. But if the priest examines it, and there is no white hair in it, and it is not deeper than the skin, but has faded, then the priest shall shed about seven days. And it spreads in the skin, and the priest will proclaim him unclean. It is a disease. But if the spot remains in one place and does not spread, it is the scar of the boil, and the priest shall pronounce him clean. Verse 24. Or, when the body has a burn on its skin, and the raw flesh of the burn becomes a spot, reddish white and white, the priest shall examine it, and if the hair in the spot is turned white and appears deeper than the skin, then it is a leprous disease. It is broken out in the burn, and the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a case of leprous disease. But if the priest examines it, and there is no white hair in the spot, and it is deeper than the skin, but it is faded, the priest will shed him up for seven days. Excuse me. <coughs> and the priest shall examine him on the seventh day. If it is spreading in the skin, then the priest will pronounce him unclean. You might want to volunteer to read for a moment. Yeah. I'll take the other one. You gotta pull that up. <coughs> mm. Yeah, I'll do it. In big print. Alright, nice. It makes it much easier to keep all these leprous diseases straight. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. Just going all the way through? Or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Verse 28 here. Alright. So. But if the spot remains in one place and does not spread it in the skin, but has faded, it is a swelling from the burn, and the priest shall pronounce them clean. Where it is the scar of the burn. When a man or a woman has a disease on the head or the beard, the priest shall examine the disease, and if it appears deeper than the skin, and the hair in it is yellow and thin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is an itch, a leprous disease of the head or the beard. And if the priest examines the itching disease and it appears no deeper than the skin, and there is no black hair in it, then the priest shall shut up the person with the itching disease for seven days, and on the seventh day the priest shall examine the disease. If the itch has not spread, and there is no yellow hair, and the itch appears to be no deeper than the skin, then he shall shave himself, but the itch he shall not shave, and the priest shall shut up the person with the itching disease for another seven days. And on the seventh day, the priest shall examine the itch, and if the itch has not spread, and it appears to be no deeper than the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean, and he shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the itch spreads in the skin after his cleansing, and the priest shall examine him. And if the itch is spread in the skin, the priest need not seek for the yellow hair. He is unclean. But if in his eyes the itch is unchanged, and black hair is grown in, then the itch is healed, and he is clean, and the priest shall pronounce him clean. When a man or a woman has spots on the skin or body, white spots, the priest shall look, and if the spots of the skin and body are of a dull white, it is leucoderma that is broken out on the skin, he is clean. If a man's hair falls from his head, he is bald, he is clean. Thank goodness. And if a man's hair falls out from his forehead, he has baldness of the forehead, he is clean. Back when you have a second, we might have a graphic Um Let's see. But if there is bald head and bald forehead with a whitish red diseased area, it is a leprous disease breaking out of his bald head or his bald forehead. Then the priest shall examine him. If the disease swelling is reddish white, Uh, let's see. 
he's selling his brownish white on his bald head or on his bald forehead, like the appearance of a leprous disease on the skin body. He's a leprous man. He's unclean. The priest must pronounce him unclean. His disease is on his head. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean, he shall live alone, his dwelling shall be outside the camp. When there is a case of leprous disease in a garment, whether a woolen or a linen garment, in woof or uh, woof of linen or wool, or in a skin or anything made of skin, if the disease is greenish or reddish in the garment, or in the skin, or in the warp, or the woof, uh, or in any article made of skin, it is a case of leprous disease, and it shall be shown to the priest. And the priest shall examine the disease, and shut up that which has the disease for seven days. Then he shall examine the disease for the seventh day. If the disease has spread in the garment, in the warp, or the woof, or in the skin, whatever be the use of the skin, the disease is a persistent leprous disease. It is unclean, and he shall burn the garment, or the wolf, or the woof, the wool, or the linen, or any article made of skin that is diseased, for it is a persistent leprous disease that shall be burned in the fire. And if the priest examines, and if the disease has not spread in the garment, in the wolf, or the woof, or any article made of skin, then the priest shall command that they wash the thing in which is the disease, and he shall shut it up for another seven days. And the priest shall examine the disease thing after it has been washed, and if the appearance of the diseased area has not changed, though the disease has not spread, it is unclean. You shall burn it in fire, whether the rot is on the back or in the front. But if the priest examines, and if the diseased area has faded after it has been washed, he shall tear it out of the garment, or the skin, or the wolf, or the wolf. Then if it appears again in the garment, in the wolf, or the wolf, or in any article made of skin, it is spreading. You shall burn with fire whatever has the disease. But the garment, or the wolf, or the woof, or any article made of skin from which the disease departs when you have washed it, shall then be washed a second time to be clean. This is the law in the case of a leprous disease in a garment of wool or linen, either in the warp or woof, or in any article made of skin to determine whether it is clean or unclean. So that's the end of chapter 13, and moving on to 14, hopefully that's applicable, but not too applicable. Um, so the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, There shall be a law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall look. And if the case of leprous disease is healed in the leprous person, then the priest shall command them to take for him who is to be cleansed two clean live birds, and cedar wood, and scarlet yarn, and hyssop. And the priest shall command them to kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over fresh water. He shall take the live bird with the cedar wood and the scarlet yarn and the hyssop and dip them in the live bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him to, uh, who is to be cleansed of the leprous disease. Then he shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird go into the open field. And he is, who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes and shave off all his hair and bathe himself in water and he shall be clean. And after that he may come into the camp but live outside of his tent seven days. And on the seventh day he shall shave off all his hair from his head, his beard, and his eyebrows. He shall shave off all his hair, and he shall wash his clothes, and bathe his body in water, and he shall be clean. And on the eighth day he shall make two male lambs without blemish, and one new lamb, a year old, without blemish, and a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, and one law of the oil. And the priest who cleanses him shall set the man who is to be cleansed, and these things before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of the meeting. And the priest shall take one of the male lambs and offer it for a guilt offering, along with the law of oil, and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. And he shall kill the lamb in the place where they killed the sin offering, and the burnt offering, in the place of the sanctuary. For the guilt offering, like the sin offering, belongs to the priest, who is most holy. The priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering, and the priest shall put it on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of oil, and pour it in the palm of his own left hand, and dip his right finger in the oil that is in his left hand, and sprinkle some oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. 
and sever the oil that remains in his hand. The priest shall put on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, and the big toe of his right foot, on top of the goat, uh, the blood of the goat offering. And the rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand, he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. The priest shall offer a sin offering to make atonement for him who is to be cleansed from his uncleanliness. And afterward he shall kill the burnt offering. And the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him and he shall be clean. But if he is poor and cannot afford so much, then he shall take one male lamb for a guilt offering to be waived to make atonement for him. And a tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, and a log of oil. Also two turtle doves or two pigeons, whichever he can afford. The one shall be a sin offering, and the other a burnt offering. And on the eighth day he shall bring them for his cleansing to the priest in the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord. And the priest shall take the lamb of the guilt offering, and the log of the oil, and the priest shall wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. And he shall kill the lamb of the guilt offering. And the priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering, and put it on the lobe of the right ear of him who is cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. And the priest shall pour some of the oil into the palm of his own hand, and he shall sprinkle with his right finger some of the oil that is in his left hand seven times before the Lord. And the priest shall put some of that oil that is in the hand on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, on the big toe of his right foot, in the place where the blood of the goat offering was put. And the rest of the oil that is in the priest's hands, he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed, to make atonement for him before the Lord. And he shall offer of the turtle doves or pigeons, whichever he can afford, one for a sin offering, and the other for a burnt offering, along with the grain offering. And the priest shall make atonement before the Lord, for him who is being cleansed. This is the law for him who is a case, uh, in whom is a case of leprous disease, who cannot afford the offerings for his cleansing. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When you come into the land of Canaan, which I give you for possession, and I put a case of leprous disease in the house in the land of your possession, then he who owns the house shall come and tell the priest, There seems to me to be some case of disease in my house. Then the priest shall command that they empty the house before the priest goes to examine the disease lest all that is in the house be declared unclean. And afterwards, the priest shall go in and see the house, and he shall examine the disease, and if the disease is in the walls of the house, with greenish or reddish spots, <coughs> if it appears to be deeper than the surface, then the priest shall go out of the house to the door of the house and shut up the house seven days. And the priest shall come again on the seventh day and look. If the disease has spread in the walls of the house, and the priest shall command that they take out the stones in which the disease is the disease and throw them into an unclean place outside the city. And he shall have the inside of the house scraped all around, and the plaster that they scrape off they shall pour into an unclean place outside the city. And they shall take the other stones and put them in the place of those stones, and he shall take other plaster and plaster the house. If the disease breaks out again in the house, after he has taken out the stones and scraped the house and plastered it, then the priest shall go and look. If the disease has spread in the house, it is a persistent leprous disease in the house. It is unclean. And he shall break down the house, its stones and timber, and all the plaster of the house, and he shall carry them out of the city to an unclean place. Moreover, whoever enters the house will be shut up, shall be unclean until evening, and whoever sleeps in the house shall wash his clothes, and whoever eats in the house shall wash his clothes. But if the priest comes and looks, and the disease has not spread in the house after the house was plastered, and the priest shall pronounce the house clean, for the disease is healed. And for the cleansing of the house, he shall take two small birds with cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop, and he shall kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over fresh water, and shall take the cedar wood and the hyssop and the scarlet yarn along with the live bird, and dip them in the blood of the bird that was killed, and in the fresh water, and sprinkle the house seven times. Thus he shall cleanse the house with the blood of the bird and with the fresh water and with the live bird and with the cedar wood and the hyssop. And he shall let the live bird go out of the city and open country. So he shall make atonement for the house, and it shall be clean. This is the law for any case of leprous disease, for an itch, for leprous disease in the garden or in a house, and for a swelling or an eruption or a spot to show when it is unclean and when it is clean. This is the law for leprous disease. Number 14. 
also remarkably close to the CDC COVID guidelines. Um, <laughs> said so. Uh, a little commentary there. All right, chapter 15. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any man has a discharge from his body, his discharge is unclean. And this is the law of his uncleanliness for discharge, whether his body runs with his discharge or his body is blocked up by his discharge. It is his uncleanliness. Every bed on which the one with the discharge lies shall be unclean, and everything on which he sits shall be unclean. And anyone who touches his bed shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And whoever sits on anything on which the one with the discharge has sat shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until evening. And whoever touches the body of the one with the discharge shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And if the one with the discharge spits on someone who is clean, then he shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And any saddle on which the one with the discharge rise shall be unclean. And whoever touches anything that was under him shall be unclean until the evening. And whoever carries such things shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Anyone whom the one with the discharge touches without having rinsed his hands in water shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And an earthenware vessel that the one with the discharge touches shall be broken, and every vessel of wood shall be rinsed with water. And then the one with the discharge is cleansed of his discharge, uh, when rather, not then. Then he shall count for himself seven days for his cleansing and wash his clothes, and he shall bathe his body in fresh water and shall be clean. And on the eighth day he shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons and come before the Lord to the entrance of the tent of meeting and give them to the priest. And the priest shall use them, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord for his discharge. If a man has an omission of semen, he shall bathe his whole body in water and be unclean until the evening. And every garment and every skin on which the semen comes shall be washed with water and be unclean until the evening. If a man lies with a woman and has an omission of semen, both of them shall bathe themselves in water and be unclean until the evening. When a woman has a discharge, and the discharge is in her body, uh, in her body is blood, she shall be in her menstrual impurity for seven days. And whoever touches her shall be unclean until the evening. I see why you have that coughing fit, see? <laughs> in the evening when she lies during her menstrual impurity, she'll be unclean. Everything also on which she sits shall be unclean. And whoever touches her bed shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And whoever touches anything on which she sits shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Whether it is the bed or anything on which she sits, when he touches it, he shall be unclean until evening. And if any man lies with her and her menstrual impurity comes upon him, he shall be unclean seven days, and every bed on which he lies shall be unclean. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at her time of menstrual impurity, or she has a discharge beyond her time of impurity, all of the days of the discharge she, she shall continue in uncleanliness. As in the days of her impurity, she, she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge shall be to her as the bed of her impurity. And everything on which she sits shall be unclean, as in the uncleanliness of her menstrual impurity. And whoever touches these things shall be unclean. And she'll wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. But if she is cleansed of her discharge, she shall count for herself seven days, and after that she shall be clean. And on the eighth day, she shall be two tur uh, take two turtle doves or two pigeons and bring them to the priest, the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall use one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her before the Lord for her unclean discharge. Thus, you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanliness lest they die in their uncleanliness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. This is the law for him who has a discharge, and for him who has an omission of semen, becoming unclean thereby, also for her who is unwell with her menstrual impurity, that is, for anyone, male or female, who has a discharge, and for the man who lies with a woman who is unclean. God bless you, brother. <laughs> Let the Church of God breathe a collective sigh of relief. We have reached the end. And um, honestly, the fact that it's difficult to read and the fact that it uh, 
frankly, I got quite a winded there for a bit. I have two things working. I have a, an asthmatic issue, which seems to be causing some trouble, some allergy things, pouring, something's blooming out. And then also, God just created me with a lot of mirth. And there's a point where we used to keep talking about works and woofs and anointing people's earlobes and big toes and stuff. It's just mighty hard to be able to keep that contained. So thank you for your Yankee steadfastness, Josh. You have that, that, that northeastern well, character. I heard you were making that coffee thing. You didn't want to reach out to 15. <laughs> oh, mercy. I'll tell you what. It is um, It's definitely... Challenging. I'm going to just hazard a guess here and say Leviticus is probably not the book of the Bible that you spent the most time reading in your Christian experience, right? Uh, for most of us, um, all these pages seem foreign and honestly, am I allowed to say the word God ever seems tedious? I mean, after a while, it's like, oh my goodness, it goes on and on and on. And if you've ever embarked on one of those read through the Bible in your campaigns, Usually you do pretty good Genesis and Exodus, and then Leviticus is where you shrivel up because it's so hard to get through. But there's a reason for that. For all its foreignness, Leviticus is an important part of our spiritual inheritance as believers because I think without it, we can't fully understand Christ. For instance, Jesus fulfills the office of the priesthood, which is instituted in Leviticus 8 and 9. But in Christ, we've got this ultimate high priest that, that Hebrews talks about, whose ministry did what no human priest could ever do to us. Because he doesn't make sacrifices on behalf of God's people that are temporary and appease God's wrath against our sin for a short time. He became the living sacrifice for us. In Leviticus 16, the next chapter, we'll see how God is to John Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And Christ fulfills that requirement for atonement for sin in a way that nothing that people could ever do would fully accomplish before God. Because Christ alone was able to do that. Um, in Leviticus 25, God details the year of Jubilee, a time of forgiveness and freedom and a celebration of God's mercy. And you guessed it, Christ fulfills that in ways that go way beyond what human practice ever could have. So Leviticus, I think, is really important for us to understand what Christ has done for us. But even so, parts of it are just all oh, no, confusing, aren't they? I'd say these three chapters qualify if any of Leviticus does. Um, there's a whole section here from chapter 11 to 16 that deals with laws concerning uncleanliness. And particularly here, we see all these procedures for cleansing a house of what ESV translates as a leprous disease. Um, the old, the first NIV translation referred to it as a spreading mildew. Um, and it's really complex. Russell and I were talking about, you know, you wouldn't think mildew would be an issue in a fairly arid part of the world, would you? You wouldn't really think of that as being a problem. But of course, you know, when rains come, you know, those sorts of things will proliferate or whatever. And, you know, and it talks about, you know, disease in general. As Josh said, I mean, there's some relevance to, you know, how we handle the spread of communicable disease today, how we understand, you know, it's funny because when you look, I mean, God gave these laws, and some of these were very complex and very specific because they helped people understand the depth of sin. But at the same time, when they followed them, they were blessed, and they were cleansed from their diseases, and they were protected, right? Um, you know, the priest had to examine your house, and if the house, uh, the stones were affected, that plaster had to be removed, and if that didn't solve the problem, you'd tear the whole house down. You know, one thing that you might notice right off is that when God starts laying out the procedure for dealing with this spreading mildew, He says, when you come into the land of, land of Canaan, which I give you for possession, and I put a case of leprous disease in the house of the land of possession. Did you catch that? God says, when I put it there, God is taking responsibility for a situation that could end in the loss of somebody's house. And we might really ask, why would God do something? You might ask in your own life, why would God call us or at least allow some of the stuff that happens in my life? I'm not going to lie, last couple of years I've had a few of those situations. I know many of you have too. And when there's moments we have to find out, what is the point? And I think the answer is maybe twofold, especially for the people of Israel here that, that, that are being written to. First, God is asserting his sovereignty over all things. God is showing them that He is the sovereign master of the universe. 
Nothing just happens. Everything is under his providential control. Further, even the houses that the Israelites dwelled in came from God, didn't they? You know, I always say, when I was a kid, you know, I would read Job, and Job says, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. And as a young kid, I thought that meant God is sort of fickle. He's sort of capricious. He, sometimes he gives you stuff, sometimes he takes stuff away. Because that's what it sounds like on the surface. And then as I grew, I started to understand what Job was saying is that God could never take from me anything that wasn't God's gift to me in the first place. What did I come into this world with? What did I make for myself? God has given me everything that I have, and as God takes anything away, it was His to begin with, and it's His right to do that. Even the houses that the Israelites lived in came from God's hand, from God's promise. The earth is the Lord's, and He gave part of it to the Israelites to be their possession. And so God is showing them that He is sovereign over all these things. And then, second, I think, like the other laws regarding uncleanliness, there's a object lesson here about sin. Um, the Israelites were about to settle in the promised land and they would have, were going to have God himself dwelling in their midst. Now that's hard for us to even comprehend. That promise that God gave them that when they settle in this land that he has prepared for them, God himself is going to dwell in their midst. We don't really necessarily think about that because we don't think of God dwelling in a building. We say, you know, that we are the church, not the building. And so, you know, we don't think of there being a temple of God in that way. But at the same time, what's the first thing that John tells us in his gospel? You know, that, that he came and, and in Greek pitched his tent, you know, tabernacle in the old kingdom, he pitched his tent in the midst of God dwells in our midst. In Jesus Christ, He came to dwell in our midst. And so if God's going to be dwelling in their presence, God can't be in the presence of sin. God can't look on sin. God's perfectly holy. And so the picture here is of sin as a pernicious disease, a spreading thing that has to be rooted out and destroyed. Otherwise, it will destroy the sinner, right? And I don't have to tell you about that. You've seen the consequences of sin in people's lives. You've seen it in your own life, I'm sure. You know, whether it's a bad habit or a bad set of associations with people that drag you down or whatever, we know that sin has a way of spreading through our entire lives. And there's a cost to be paid for that. You know, the priests were charged with rooting out these things and discovering these diseases and stuff. And oh my gosh, Russell and I was like, how would you eat them with the blood? It would be hard. You know? I mean, how long would it take you to go through all this stuff and sort it out? I said, today, there would be an iPhone app. No doubt. You know, where you like, you scan the boil, you know, and it comes up and says, okay, here's what you got to do. You know, quarantine for seven days, come back in seven days, we'll check it again, whatever. You know, and if that doesn't work, we'll turn your house, tear your house down. Um, you know, we have to have something like that. It's so complex. Um, a spot on the wall. A blemish on the skin could easily be dismissed as minor and just commonplace and just part of life, couldn't it? After all, everybody gets a little mildew in rainy weather, right? Everybody gets an occasional pimple or a rash. Everybody suffers from lust sometimes. Everybody gossips. Everybody is greedy for other people's stuff sometimes. Everybody tells a little white lie down in them, right? God wanted the Israelites to understand the cost of sin, so he demanded that they deal with the uncleanliness around them. And the cost was high. But gosh, the benefit was immeasurable, right? I mean, you know, having God the most high dwell in their midst. And as the scripture unfolds, what God will show his people um, in exquisite detail, and I mean, you have to talk about detail, you can't you know, get more detailed than these three chapters, right? What he shows them is this, that sin is more than a disease. That it is more even than just a terminal sickness that will kill us and condemn us. It's the very nature of those who are not redeemed in Christ. As we're born into this world, our very nature is sin. As children of Adam, our nature, our entire character is sin. We are a little bit sick with sin and need some kind of medicine. Scripture doesn't say that. It says we are dead 
apart from Christ and our sins and trespasses. And dead people can't help themselves, can they? Dead people don't have any righteousness. And unless we receive the mercy of God through Jesus Christ to make us new creations, we will remain dead in our sins and trespasses. Now, as Christians, I think we can look at passages like this one and we can remember the cause of sin. But praise God. You know, that, cost, that cost of sin has been paid by Christ on the cross for everyone who's truly in Him. And Lord granted, we'd never forget and fail to be grateful that He's paid the cost on our behalf so that we don't have to perform these complex rituals so that we don't have to constantly be... Well, because think about it. If you're not cleansed in Christ, if you don't have your sin taken away, if you continue in your sins and trespasses, then you're in this very shape. It's not mold and mildew and boils. It's sin. And that sin, any sin, the least sin, is enough to condemn you and separate you forever from the presence of God. That's what sin is. All sin is deadly. I think one of the great mistakes of modern Christianity is to believe that sin makes us a little bit sick. That what we need is self-help and self-improvement and that Jesus is sort of more like a guru than a savior. I think that's been subtly taught a lot in Western culture for a long, long time. And yet what we see here is that these are deadly things. That these small blemishes become deadly things that will kill us. Um, and so, the one really for that is Jesus Christ. And God has made provision for everyone who would seek Him to be redeemed for God's glory. Um, if there's anybody hearing this message, if you're online listening to this now or in the future or whatever, you don't know for an absolute fact that you're redeemed by the precious shed blood of Jesus Christ. According to God's unbelievable mercy, please, please call on Him today. And know that God will hear and they won't fail to redeem his own people. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you even for the complexity and confusion sometimes of your word. Thank you, God, for all these words of detail that point us to the deadly, deadly nature of sin. God, forgive us that we would ever joke or laugh or make light of sin. And we do, God, because it's a part of that. Um, sort of gallows humor that helps us be able to um, not focus on, not panic about our sin. But as Christians, we know that we are forever redeemed from our sins. Past, present, future, whatever. But the blood of Christ is powerful to do all those things. But God, let's not ever make light of sin in a way that we don't take seriously what it does to other people. God, help us not to ever believe for a moment that any sin can be harmless. Because your word shows us that it is spreading an infectious and pernicious sin that it will destroy us. God, teach us to love righteousness. Teach us, God, to seek you as our ultimate healer, as our sacrifice, our Savior, and high priest who goes far beyond any earthly proofs. And Lord, let us live for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, um, as we come together, we're going to share the Lord's table. And I want to um, give us a few moments to be able to reflect and think about um, the, um, the Word of God and uh, the commandments for those who come to the Lord's table. So um, I want to um, read for us Paul's advice about uh, communion and give us a few moments to be able to ponder and reflect before we uh, share the Lord's table together. Paul writes this to the Corinthians. Um, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he given thanks, he broke it. And said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we would not be condemned along with the world. It gives us a few moments to be able to confess what we may need to before the Lord, to um, prepare our hearts to receive the signs and the seals of God's grace in our lives, and not pray for us in Lord, hear the confession of our hearts. We praise you, God, that for all who are in Christ, we are not condemned by our sins and our failures. But that we find redemption, we find cleansing, we find holiness and righteousness in your sight through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. This morning, Lord, as we come together sharing your table, remind us. Um, through these elements, through these signs and seals of your grace, that you indeed have grace to the people that go beyond any power in this earth, that there is absolutely nothing in this world or beyond this world that can separate us who are in Christ from your life. Lord, um, bless these elements that they would spiritually nourish our bodies, that in sharing together um, the bread and the cup, that we would um, remind ourselves of the glory of your sacrifice for us and of the transcendence of the resurrection and the victory that we have in you. Lord, all for your glory in Jesus' name.
so as Paul faithfully records on that night when Jesus shared um, his last earthly meal with uh, his disciples, who were, remember his dear friends, they were the people who most closely experienced his grace through his life and earth. And since that, he took bread and gave thanks, and he broke it as a symbol, and said, this is my body broken for you. Thank you. Jesus took a cup. In my mind, he probably held a glass of wine aloft so that the light shined through the red liquid and said to them, This cup is a new covenant made for you, my beloved. Take a drink. Father, again, bless these elements that they would spiritually nourish us, even as good food and good drink nourish our physical bodies. Lord, that the presence and the communion of your saints in this place would encourage and strengthen would challenge us to glorify you in new and better ways as we live together as Blue Ridge Church in this community. Your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.
say that's one of those Holy Spirit things. Um, Captain, I didn't particularly coordinate that song to go with the message, but it sure seems like it did, didn't it? Um, our confession of faith is from the Heidelberg Catechism. If you want to read along with me, question 16 says, For where do you know that Christ your mediator is both true God and a true and righteous man? And the response says, From the Holy Gospel, which God himself first revealed in paradise. Later, he had it proclaimed by the patriarchs and prophets and foreshadowed by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law, what we were just reading about. Finally, he had it fulfilled through his only son. Praise God for this truth. Thank you for being here this morning. God bless you. Go in his peace.